0: Hey there, welcome to another episode of Teams at Work. My name is Daria Gutnik, and I'm the CEO and co-founder of Bunch. I'm co-hosting the show with Anthony Rio, who is also my co-founder and our COO. We are on a mission to help anyone become a great leader. And together with our team, we're building an AI leadership coach to achieve exactly that. This podcast is for a new generation of leaders. Every episode, we talk to an inspiring guest who is running a high-performance team or a company to learn about their journey and what they do in their day-to-day to be an effective leader.
1: So no matter if you're leading a team already or simply interested in becoming more effective at work, you can build your leadership skills by investing as little as two minutes a day with our AI leadership coach. If you're curious, download it for free on the Apple App Store today by simply searching Bunch Leadership coach your journey starts with a quick assessment of what kind of leader you are today and then you will receive personalized daily leadership tips to help you grow faster into the leader you want to become tomorrow in this episode Daria and I speak with Anand Safi he is the director of engineering at Mark 43 a passionate coach and mentor and writer on the topic of engineering leadership with Anand we talked about moving from engineering to product and what makes technical leaders truly unique and why, despite all the technical requirements, the human element is truly still the most important ingredient, and how to develop that along your personal growth journey and career. Anand also confirmed the hyper-importance of peer coaching and feedback along his personal growth journey, and if that doesn't get you excited, I don't know what will. So let's dive right
2: in.
0: Hey, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Teams at Work, and we are here today with Anna and Safi, and we're, I'm so excited to have you with us for this conversation, Anna.
2: Thank you so much for having me. Uh, really excited to be here as well.
0: Nice. Let's unpack leadership wisdom and learn from all the mistakes that you've made <laughs> and unpack learnings that our users and our audience can learn from. Uh, jokes aside it's uh, also a bit true so of course we're really really excited to learn from all the ups and downs that you've gone through and my first question actually is kind of going back to the roots how did your journey begin and when was your first leadership moment when did you feel like oh I actually maybe like taking responsibility for people and results and things and maybe that's a good career for me
2: that's an excellent first question right to go back in time on how did it all start So I think before the leadership side, right, my journey began in academia from kind of just being really good at logical reasoning and mathematics and being just probably just always the top student in class, all that in the schooling times. So that led to just me starting a career in computer science, got my bachelor's and master's in computer science, moved into the tech industry, worked there for a good enough decade of 12 plus years, actually. And then I think it was right in that kind of middle of my technical journey as an individual contributor, as a software engineer in one of the startups in New York, where I always wanted to do something more than just uh, write code and push code out and, and have the dopamine boost at the end of the day, right? Like, hey, I got a feature spec, knocked it out. It's all working. I'm done with my stuff. It was always how do I connect more towards the left of the product development journey, where there is just conversations with the customers, there is just more interaction on cross-collaboration and cross-functional disciplines, actually. And I was talking this to my manager and the chief product officer there, and that's how they started like, we do have another product manager. She's also interested in connecting more across engineering and design. Would you like to look into just how do we bring engineering and the entire product development org together to focus more on connections and public speaking. That is where the idea of starting a Toastmasters chapter came along. And we both worked together. I served as the president for that club for two plus years. And that is my first leadership moment, right? There's a lot of voluntary or community leadership before that that I'd done, just trying to engage in the community and help uh, kind of some causes. But this was my real kind of professional leadership moment that is starting a chapter, getting a group together, trying to do the first icebreaker speech and showcase vulnerability from the start on how my immigrant journey came from being coming from India and settling in the U.S. and just uh, trying to break into tech. That really led to the start of this wonderful journey now, seven, eight plus years later. So this was this collective experience of um, Connecting with the wider product development community, and then also finding an avenue to make that happen. Cool. Awesome.
0: Yeah, I think uh, very exciting moment, and also very exciting thing that we ended up here today. That uh, you you took the lead, as we say back um, then, you stepped up. Super cool.
1: Anand, your profile on LinkedIn is obviously super. I mean, it stands out. I mean, amongst so many other profiles that I've seen and um, I know I'm not a recruiter. So, I mean, it really stands out in that sense. Like there's engineering leadership written all over it. So, I mean, I have a targeted question, but I would love to sort of just ask a follow-up. Obviously you've ended up in a, a leadership role. Like what's unique about technical or engineering leadership in
2: your opinion? I think the most unique thing about the engineering or technical leadership is the focus on engineering and technical items becomes less and less each passing week, month, year, actually. There is a survey that that Google did for all engineering managers as a part of their rework project in 2016, actually, Project Oxygen. And out of the eight skills they ranked for engineering leaders, being super technical came in last, actually, because you want to empower the decision-making for people who are closer to the day-to-day technical kind of architectural and implementation side. So that is where you have the tech leads and the senior engineer coming into play. The technical and engineering leadership side is more human skill focused and more empathy focused. So there's a lot of emotional resilience that comes into play, actually. And there's also a sense of just, uh, I would say, striking the right balance, right? It is as much as working with the team along with managing up. What people often struggle is when you are not fully bought into an executive team's idea or lack clarity. How do you pass that half-baked kind of situation down to your team, keep the motivation and morale alive and ongoing, actually? So that striking balance is a really important thing, along with the human skills that come with a lot of the people management aspect of that role.
1: hundred percent. And a great definition, first of all. We speak to a lot of technical leaders about that initial step into management or leadership, right? That first EM role or something like that, could you walk us through, Daria asked the very origin question, but like walk us through your specific kind of transition into maybe your first EM role or I don't know where that happened in your journey, but that first transition into management or leadership for you.
2: Yeah, I think the good part was I was always aware at the back of my mind as an engineer that I want to steer my career towards leadership and management. There's a whole different conversation on how you go from being an individual contributor to engineering management and the key signals or, or motivational factors you should consider. But for me, the mental preparation was this is a different career track altogether. So I need to start right. As they say, the first 90 days, the reflections, the feedback cycles, all of this is important. So what I did was focus on relationship building, trust building, and make sure that I am connecting on a more holistic landscape, versus simply trying to say that I want to impress my team and my peers and my leadership by saying, look, we deliver on 100% of the commits." right? Yes, you can go neck deep into execution and kind of hit it out of the park one quarter, But the first time you have an attrition, the first time somebody in your team is not up to their 100 percent, the first time you have unclear requirements or you need to retain a very important strategic customer, you are not kind of taught those skills beforehand in your individual contributor journey or through a lot of engineering management coaching beforehand. So those are the things that I wanted to focus on, that I understand what we are trying to achieve as a company North Star Goal. The people that I would need to work day to day, those are both internal and external in the team, the key stakeholders, and trying to play to the team's strengths, as well as trying to collectively improve on our shortcomings, actually. So that focus of just being external for as much as internal was really helpful for me the first three to six months, actually.
0: And I think my next question actually builds on top of that. And as a product leader and and in our company, actually product entails engineering, like I can totally relate to this balance between kind of focusing on the team and being with the team and at the same time needing to build relationships outside support systems like resources all of that right so it's such an interesting kind of role in that sense or like balance to hold I saw that you're doing so many things on top of that right like you're mentoring engineers you're coaching you're contributing to like magazine podcasts all sorts of things and I'm I was legitimately, and I think our whole team was like extremely impressed about how you balance it all. So like, tell us your secrets. Uh, I don't know what I should ask for productivity or time management or what it is, but tell us how you actually get this all kind of rolling and done. Super, super impressive.
2: Yeah. Thank you so much. I think there's, this is where even in my friends and family, it's, it's part praise and part joke. They call me Mr. LinkedIn and they even made a cake for me. The sense just like because it says there's a lot of active things in there, right? They made a cake with the LinkedIn logo, or or right? The WhatsApp group for the surprise party and everything, is like LinkedIn guy birthday, or something like that. And right. like they shared it with me after, so <laughs> but I think, yeah, what I'm trying to get it is that yes, it can seem that there's a lot of fragmentation in those roles, right? But a lot of those opportunities are less than five hours a month, but each opportunity is unique in its own way. I have started with writing. Articles on Medium, which can sound almost like a personal diary. Like if somebody reads, great. If not, who cares? I've published my thoughts and and I've shared my experiences. Moving to writing for a magazine and kind of a little bit more, I would say, grooming my writing abilities, actually. Mentoring, I started mentoring engineers who were junior to mid-level in their career and now mentoring engineering leaders only when I feel comfortable that I first experienced that journey. And I can share my learning moments with them in that regard. So that is basically more kind of on demand, where I do have some fixed commitments, but those are carefully thought in terms of the hours that I can contribute to, because I'm not trying to build a side hustle or a business. If I put that time into my kind of day job or kind of my main role, I would grow and kind of do that anyways, right? So the, the motivation for all those other five or six other things is very different. It's part kind of giving back the whole notion of what I have learned and gained through mentorship, right, going through my journey. I started much more earlier as a mentee than now I am serving as a mentor. And the second is the experiences and situations that I kind of get to hear or work with people are very different and are a magnitude higher than i can possibly experience in just one role or the three or four teams i lead or manage right so that's why it gives me more uh, cultural aspects gives me more diverse kind of working conditions aspects gives me different team topologies and structures and situations that if i had to apply in my role at any place tomorrow i at least have some idea on okay when i was talking with someone in this situation earlier This is how they approach it or things to consider or keep in mind. So it's like what Kent Beck said at one of kind of the conferences last year, that the secret part about mentorship is that that oftentimes the mentor gets more out of that than the mentee through those kind of the art of listening and those interpersonal experiences, actually. So that is why I continue to make sure that I can devote at least 20 percent of my time three to five hours a week to all these other avenues, actually.
0: And so I have to ask because I do totally agree. And I think many of our listeners probably share that same ambition and really want to do to invest more in crafting skills around writing, sharing and teaching. In the end, it's all kind of teaching, right? Like you want to pass on what you learned and and help others to benefit from it. How do you make that happen? So is the secret that you have specific like set sessions, let's say like the writing happens at every week in a specific slot and you stick to it and you build a habit or How do you protect that time? How do you make sure that it actually happens on a regular basis?
2: Yeah, that is one thing that I'm personally trying to get better at. And I don't want to sound that I've figured out because I do lack consistency with the things that go on in kind of my day-to-day role, right? There are a lot of things that come up from a team perspective, a remote working perspective, that I'm not able to devote that consistent time every single kind of week as much as I would like. So the way I structure is I give it roughly six months or something when I have had a decent amount of kind of new experiences or set of kind of responsibilities that I feel I need to write about that I started writing when I moved to engineering management solely because of all the pitfalls of being kind of an individual contributor or like the I, my first article was five things I wish I knew as a software engineer that I should focus on right that is not focusing on implementation trying to do more proof of concepts trying to focus on collaboration and community all those things that I felt in my seven years of IC roles, I wanted to bring it back actually to the community. Now that I am in a director position, I do plan to write on going from kind of a simply EM for a team to leading strategy, vision, and then being a manager of managers. So it's kind of either milestones that you can set up because I just don't want to tie myself to the habit of being consistent if I don't have stuff to write and share, right? It's when we'll just up appear like thing you do on a roll that every week you need to put a status update in actually and kind of make up stuff, right? I want to make sure I have enough material and confidence that I can share back with the community in that sense. So that is how I focus on their writing. The other aspects of mentorship is just be open and honest and start from where you are currently. The best form of mentorship is starting with your team, with kind of your other peers actually are just flagging to your manager that this is an area I'm interested to grow in, give me that safe space and the feedback circle that I can practice in before I go uh, kind of explore that in a more industry-wide setting actually. That
1: makes a lot of sense. And I completely agree that, you know, mentoring can sometimes be more for the mentor. I think they said the same thing. I just got a dog recently, and it was a funny quote. I was like, we gotta get a trainer. And then someone whispered, Hey, the trainer's actually more for you than the dog. And I, I think it's kind of a similar principle, <laughs> <Yeah>. right? <laughs> right. Different but similar. But I'd love to know where you think coaching can help the other side. Like when you think about the coachee. Where have you found coaching be the most impactful for those that you've mentored or coached?
2: Yeah, I think the whole coaching mindset revolves around being kind of open and ongoing around learning and development, right? This framework of coaching can really help you stay true to your goals, commitments, or aspirations, actually. Mentorship tends to still be a little bit more tad bit casual and and informal, versus coaching. Coaching in itself, like as a term, sounds like I'm working with a life coach. I'm working with a leadership coach or something. So it's it's a little bit more structured and framework oriented in terms of there's a lot of ongoing conversations around learning and development. And it's more so like about reflective practice, right? The coach wants to make sure that you are able to get something meaningful that is either upskilling you in terms of a role or in upskilling you in terms of kind of a direction that you feel that you are growing holistically in. With mentorship, it can simply be a short-term goal or a long-term goal, or it can simply be kind of on demand that for the next three months, I'm taking on a mentor. I need to either build a new project in a front-end language Or I need to kind of crack this coding interview that I have, actually. And you can get mentorship on how to approach that. But with coaching, it's much more defined for that next stage in your career, be it in any form, actually. So that's why there's a little bit more kind of in terms of the coaching mindset in that regards, actually.
1: Understood. And did you have a coach when you were kind of a growing sort of when you were in your early journey? Did you always have a coach or a mentor?
2: Yeah, I had mentors, definitely. But a lot of that mentorship came from within the company as i was leading to so initial mentorship in my kind of engineering individual contributor career did come from within the company that is my immediate manager my peers uh, a lot of that it was semi-structured but that is where it came from but then when i moved into being a mentor myself actually as they kind of say like yeah mentors need mentors the most actually so that's why i am also now taking on a lot of industry mentorship and coaching When I need to just uh, course correct or just validate that whatever I am passing on to people, does that actually make sense in the first place? And how do I kind of manage my own burnout and the things that I aspire to do uh, through all these actually as well? So that's why I continue to also work with mentors and coaches from time to time.
0: I do have to follow up on this, obviously, because you said a very important keyword burnout obviously, I think we all struggle with it. I don't know any professional at this point that is not like super committed to their team's mission and their craft and and wanting to be good at what they do that don't struggle with energy management, let's call it. I'm not a big fan of the work-life balance metaphor, because I think it's a bit too flat. But basically, we're trying to push and grow as much as possible in the teams we're working in and, and with. But at the same time, Many people, I think, including myself, struggle with resting properly and just having that skill of like balancing and giving that energy back to yourself. So maybe you can tell us a little bit more about what you experienced or what you learned, like what were like tough moments maybe you went through and like how how did you come out of it again? Like what, yeah, what learnings did you make that kind of help you in that regard?
2: Yeah, I think the number one thing when I think of burnout or just all this chaotic moment is being true to yourself and avoiding the imposter syndrome as much as possible, right? When I changed this career track into engineering management, I was like, how do I make sure that I, I come out on top of this? How do I impress people that I have it all figured out, even though I was first time into the role, actually? So that is why the continual ability to strive for perfection or, or wanting to push yourself you realize that when you do that, it's not a one person job. I cannot change or deliver against my company's vision. It's definitely going to be delegated or pushed onto the people that work with me to make that happen. So that's why when you start being really hard or unreasonable with yourself, you start passing that on to your team or your direct reports and start kind of lofty or unrealistic expectations or try to make sure that you're giving them little context or clarity on why we are doing something versus go make it happen or do it because we need to do it right. So while you're fighting your own battles, you're also creating a kind of restless times within the team, actually. And then that is kind of a whole domino effect. So the way you build that emotional resilience as a leader and kind of see clarity is continuing to ask the right questions or saying no, right? One of the things I put there, even as an engineer, was saying no is a superpower. Uh, you always want to kind of helpful you rely a lot on culture that everybody helps everyone but then you need to also kind of respect boundaries or just set a good schedule where you don't want your week to say that yes I promised us four things but I had 14 interrupt requests and I ended up working 14 other people's kind of goals and that's why I have not done or delivered anything against mine right so As you start saying that more authentically, people will understand and they will come to you either with a lot more information on where exactly they need help or they would rather kind of be respectful of your time and commitments as well, actually. So that is why I think the number one thing to avoid burnout is just make sure that you are seeking clarity on what is rational and realistic to deliver from your own capacity and team's perspective. You bake in a lot of these moments that will come up, as they say, the WTF moments in in software engineering or product development, a war room incident or like a P0 incident that comes up, somebody needs to go on a leave, uh, you have someone who needs to take care of a family member. All those things are kind of modeled in. And the more you are sharing that in your peer circle, leadership will try to understand actually And they do understand, right? It's just that when we are not saying it, they will always assume that it is possible. So the first thing is to have that self-actual realization and then flag it with everyone around on, okay, what do we feel that we can deliver with confidence and we will be proud versus trying to compromise on quality or just kind of efficiency gains and just push something out for the sake of it and build a house of cards in that regards.
0: So if I'm understanding you correctly, actually, you are pushing for smaller scope and i really like this question of what can we deliver like with confidence i think there is also of course always the kind of in the back of my head at least the thought of like don't wait too long like don't over perfect things like most of the time we and i I included myself even though i'm not an engineer but i think i have the same tendency of like building the shiny like thing and like it has to be perfect and so on so i think there is definitely this like other don't like mindful voice don't fall into the rabbit holes of perfecting it But I think the question of like, what can we deliver with confidence that actually will work is a very good one. And what I'm hearing is that you're basically pushing yourself and others in a way like to scope down. So like ask the question, what is possible? And then like stick to that instead of trying to like overcommit and then be like scattered.
2: Yeah. And this is really important that you brought up, right? This is my day-to-day currently for the past, I don't know how many months now that on two main things. First is as people grow more and more senior in their roles, whether it's an engineer or like a senior staff engineer or leadership, still kind of preserving the ability to think small in iterative chunks is really difficult because you know so much and you have so much experiences. Trying to think of truly an MVP or a proof of concept solutioning is hard, where people want to put in 50 things that don't even warrant an MVP. You could start with a prototype or wireframe or just Something that just showcases progress and promise, actually, that we are tracking in the right direction. And the whole notion of or engineering solutions or architectures or implementation is definitely kind of also what causes delays in project timelines at the end. But at the same time, we are not trying to say that by doing all of that, you compromise quality or you don't build for scale and efficiency, right? You make smaller scope items configurable and extensible that can be built upon or capitalized upon as time progresses. So this distinction to understand is really important that teams struggle with, that you plan for something so big, and then there is that first kind of bottleneck or roadblock you hit, and everything comes crashing down, and you need to now reevaluate, reprioritize, and then you end up kind of as you said, right, over-promising and under-delivering. So it's just making sure that there is just authenticity in terms of given our capacity, given our system constraints, given the things we value as an engineering culture, what do we feel that we can push out in the next three to six months, one year?
0: I think this is so good and I want to underline it because I think it's a very important nugget that I'm almost repeating it for myself and I hope that our listeners appreciate it too. But basically it comes down to like, not only what's the smallest thing we can build to get the job done to solve the customer problem to solve for the customer need, but also the prevention of rabbit holes. Like how do we, how do we make sure not to fall into rabbit holes? Is actually to ask ourselves what is the smallest thing that we can build upon. So like pick the thing that can actually be expandable. I think that is like such a clear mental model that hopefully is actually like at least stuck with me from everything that you said right now, and it's so so empowering, super helpful.
1: I also think there's a really exciting nugget in, it. I think. It's not just an engineering nugget. It's also, and I I often find there's a large parallel between the engineering concepts and actually the kind of the soft world in a way. Like I hate that they're two different worlds, but what you just said was interesting. Look for, understand the constraints, understand your capacity. I think that's often a challenge from like an imposter syndrome. Like when you're in that cycle, it's kind of hard. I think it's hard to be real about your capacity. At least that's in my experience, a, a more difficult one. And then there's, what do you value as an engineering culture? I'm obviously picturing sort of a three-circle Venn diagram here and some sort of ideal center, but that is a really nice image, I think. And obviously, capacity and constraints is nothing too new, but certainly from a, it's not just an engineering prioritization product thing, but it's also a, it goes hand in hand with just making sure we're focused on the right thing, because at the end of the day, in my experience also, burnout can just be the result of maybe trying to do too many things that you're not thinking at long-term or mid-term enough in that sense. You're really running for a very long time. But um, that one's staying with me for sure as well. I'd love to like dive deeper on that. But I do have another question because you wrote this, um, and maybe we can circle go back to that um, somehow, but you wrote this amazing piece around finding your place around generalists, specialists, and then you threw in this third category, which was, and I hope I'm even saying it correctly, versatilists. Yeah. First of all, what do you mean by this? And then obviously we read the piece. How did you come to realize your identity or yourself as a versatileist? I'm extremely curious.
2: Yeah. Thank you for bringing that up. So when I started my career, actually in software engineering, right, I started on the quality assurance side of things. So trying to be involved with the entire end-to-end user workflow. And that kind of sparked my interest in terms of I'm always interested to know the full picture in that regards, because what I I realized is this entire product development world is like a puzzle, right? You can have one piece, but until you don't know what the missing pieces are, you cannot complete the puzzle, actually. So that was just kind of baked into me that I want to make sure that I have at least reasonable awareness of kind of what are the customer conversations, what are we promising from a company perspective? Has there been any technical feasibility kind of analysis done at the start? Actually, what are some kind of product goals that we plan to cater from a business perspective? How can we build on the implementation side? So all of this kind of led me from a conceptual standpoint to be involved as an engineer holistically. The challenge I found in that because I was a junior to mid-level engineer and I was trying to grow in my engineering journey... The feedback I kept on getting in my performance reviews was you're all around the place, that a quarter you said you want to learn front-end and now you also want to learn a little bit of DevOps. And I said, I would come up one month to my manager and say, I want to explore the AWS conference and get a certification. Six months later, I would say, I want to become a full-stack engineer. So I was trying to just chase kind of things which I felt would help me grow in all direction in that regards. And that is where kind of this... Blended model became more and more clear to me that I first need to set up foundations in an area that I feel confident that I can own as a subject matter expert. That is where, kind of, the specialist where I can go deep in terms of a T shaped model that you are kind of floating or have awareness around a lot of the other avenues or kind of disciplines but you can really go deep in one specific area. So that's why the first half of my career, I focused on kind of being that person that, okay, from an implementation standpoint, I know reasonably well the ins and outs are kind of our landmines in the code base or kind of our areas that we need to build upon. As I felt comfortable, I started to connect more with my product and design folks actually, and then also the quality assurance and the DevOps folks in terms of, okay, Now that I know how we write code, can you tell me how do these user stories originate or the ways to do that? Or how do we kind of deploy the code and how do we maintain that? So I just wanted to make sure like it's not that from day one you can be a versatile list. Actually, I think the missing piece that now I realize I might need to go back and update is uh, ladder kind of based approach where you need to start as a specialist or just kind of you feel that you're reasonably good enough knowledge of an area and then you start these touch points on okay what are the day-to-day kind of people or disciplines i work with how can i start getting context and they can get context it's a kind of a two-way flow in that regards right and then as that regard then it really helps when the teams need to make kind of decisions even in your absence, people have at least that minimal knowledge or they are aware on, okay, what might be said or understood from this area, even if somebody is not there to represent them actually, rather than you are just kind of, I would say, giving unreasonable goals or expectations, saying that engineering can build that in a day, but then engineering comes back and says, it will take a month because we don't have this setup or vice versa in that regard. So or for product and design as well. So that is how you start kind of being a specialist, but it really depends for me. It was just making sure that I can have a much more broad impact because I knew that I have much more to offer than simply me being able to code six hours a day, actually.
0: It's actually super interesting because from the way I'm understanding it, it's kind of like if you consider yourself being a puzzle piece within other puzzle pieces in an organization or between teams, what you're basically saying is work on your own puzzle profile like see where like you stick out like what's your specialty what's your tea where do you have gaps like shape that and then with that go into the other go to the other puzzle pieces and basically like try to dock on and like explain and understand what are they working on where is their specialization what do you need to know about it how do you actually build the bridge and I think this is so interesting also for from a perspective of learning and development for junior engineers, because oftentimes I think when you have, and I don't know how you feel about that, but like when you have junior people moving into the team and they're very ambitious and they also to a degree often think like they already know a lot of things. They have all these great ideas and it's amazing. I sometimes ask myself like how to start off on the right footing with them so that you don't get, you don't overwhelm, but at the same time you get traction. And I really love this idea of like, Enable them in the beginning to like set down one kind of depth pillar, like the T, so to say. Like make sure they're good at like at least one thing, and then let's build out the bridges to like the other contextual areas around you.
2: Right, and I would like to add a very important point here. Absolutely, is like because essentially what I'm suggesting is practicing two different roles. Right, we are saying you need to dig deep, but then you also need to have a thirty thousand foot view. How do you do both as a single? A kind of person or individual in a given day. So that's why the way to kind of achieving this is only going to be through open conversations with your peer group and kind of your immediate manager and always be open to first seek and then interpret the feedback, right? Over time, when I looked kind of over the year or two that the feedback that I was getting, the pattern I spotted was initially I was like, I'm telling all these things to my manager, but nothing is happening. And then over time, I spotted, right, I'm telling actually something entirely different every three months. So I would often see kind of the manager being rattled in terms of, I am unclear on what exactly I want, because I am this newbie engineer who wants to grow and experience everything and kind of wants to impress. So that's why when nothing was happening, I I used to be kind of really sad or, or part mad in terms of why am I not getting growth or opportunities is because... I was not clear in my head which area I wanted to grow in. Once that became clear, that feedback drastically shifted in terms of the recent feedback that I got even only a year or two back from now is you are exceptionally well when you need to talk to a team or uh, kind of you give really, I would say, long winded answers or explanations to the team because you're trying to justify the work. But now that you are in this leadership, senior leadership role, you might need to talk to the executive team or the C-suite or even for a board, you need to identify on how to present that same amount of information, but from 30 lines to three lines actually. And that is a whole different perspective that the real skill set or mindset that is needed is to adapt Based on situations and audiences, and and that is kind of what you need to figure out: on who am I catering to, how much they need to know, or is it going to help or hurt them if I put something less or more actually?
0: And do you have any actual adv- like advice or tips or, or hacks that work for you? How to train yourself? Go like knowing that you came from the thirty line situation. Like, how did you? Did you use any specific like mental models or questions or frameworks or something that helped you to kind of reduce it to the three lines?
2: Yeah, so I think I really have good immediate kind of leadership where I would prefer draft of communication and kind of always do dry runs actually. So when I would say, uh, I I would say a main bullet point, I would say five bullet points in a slide, but then I want to write 15 sub points. The first piece of advice I got is, make this work available either in a Confluence page or a Jira ticket or a Google Doc, whatever the team is using, and just provide outlinks, actually. If people care enough about that main bullet point, they will click on that, go there, and kind of look all that is involved behind the scenes, actually, rather than you trying to front load the information, right? So that's why trying to focus more on kind of that indexing and metadata was kind of the first thing I realized, actually. The second thing I realized is not putting on a lot of kind of convoluted things or over justification, right? So the way I would do that is I would communicate a decision and say that the 50 things that went into that decision or the impact that it has is like, you only need to capture what people need to know in the moment, let them process it, let them come back to you actually, and then make it more a conversation rather than give them, a lengthy kind of justification of 15 slides on why and how this decision again striking that balance and then people will feel it's much more natural rather than you're trying to simply make it a top-down flow by saying all of this is happening this is why it happened and that's it or it's like this is happening some of the reasoning is around some of the factors let's have a conversation or how can we help and let them process it figure out on their own on what is their impact to the team themselves, and then kind of go back and forth, actually. So trying to make it a conversation rather than a boatload of information is something else that I've also learned, actually. Super
0: good. Very actionable. <laughs> Sorry, Anthony, I don't know. Did you have a question? <laughs> I feel like I <laughs> just went
1: with it. <laughs> I think that's just maybe a, maybe one last follow-up on this entire thread here. What are some other skills or tools or mindset shifts do you think people need in order to become this versatileist as you describe them? And then maybe another sub-question there, is this something for junior engineers or is this something to consider for engineers a
2: little bit later down their journey? I think the context might differ, but the skills definitely help at all levels, right? So, and again, a lot of this you can simply ask the people around you, but you might not always get kind of either people are too nice and don't speak with radical candor, or either people kind of don't like you and always give negative feedback. So it's just like a Catch-22 in terms of how you are collecting the feedback. So I would say also focus a lot on kind of just foundational reading or, right, I, I religiously follow a couple of kind of key coaches or kind of speakers, right? Simon Sinek, Marty Kagan, or other folks, actually, that I follow, or I read a lot of books. So those are the things, right? Like, how do you turn followers into leaders, or how do you think in bets, actually, or atomic habits, right? How do you do that 1% and kind of just incrementally grow in that regards, actually? Those are just kind of mindset things that can apply at all levels. That with, as a junior engineer, as you're trying to get more opportunity and kind of expand your influence in the team and the code base, how do you think in bets, right? So that by doing this feature this particular way, does it pay off in terms of the quality gates that we have enforced actually? Am I trying to impress someone by writing a really complex one-liner or do I need to make the code readable for the next kind of engineer who touches that page? So how do you think with each situation? What is that actually? So there's a lot of kind of, I would say, process and patience that goes on at all levels, rather than these are kind of the mantra for success that will make it kind of change overnight, actually. So that's why it's like being well read and kind of well experienced is equally important in kind of such situations when you need to grow in this particular direction?
1: Well, I'll throw this, this this important question in now, since you've just sort of um kind of mentioned experience. And this is sort of the golden question for us, because a lot of our audience are people just getting into their management or leadership careers. Maybe they've just taken the first step or quite often they want to take that step. And that's why they're devouring this information. If you could go back in time and give yourself one or two leadership tips, really the top one or two, all the way back at the beginning of your journey, what would those be?
2: Yeah, I think the first tip is kind of a two part tip that is in any conversation that you're engaging in, show genuine interest and focus on that. Because I was new to that journey, I always had 50 things that I need to do or I need to deliver against timeline or do justice to my commitments that whenever I was speaking with someone, I was kind of just hearing, but not listening or processing on what they're trying to say. And every bit of information uh, from any direction and from whoever it comes is important from a leadership standpoint because you don't know what can hold value in what future conversation. So try to kind of just be present and make sure that you are, that's why setting, I would say, really disciplined with your calendar. Own your time and calendar is another big thing that how do you structure conversations so you can be present actually. The second is be patient with change and half big communication or direction. I used to really get, get rattled and lost feeling that, am I being targeted to these kind of, I would say, half-baked communications or are they trying to try me whether I can deliver when there was lack of just direction actually as a frontline manager? Frontline or middle management is the worst because you're caught as kind of in the middle in the sandwich. But over time, when I used to really reach kind of that tipping point, my VP or director would say like, This is what you're going to experience at all points. Actually, even we experienced that. It's just simply we are trying to give you high level vision or direction and see how you come up with a plan to execute against that. Right. There is very less spoon feeding and it can get very lonely as you grow into a leadership role that you always feel like, wow, I'm not getting clear direction because the direction is what you need to set. You'll simply get goals and how do you make it happen is up to you, actually. It took me some time to realize that when I felt that I was just not kind of being supported enough, but that I was actually being grown as a leader in a whole different lens than I, I kind of knew back then, actually. That's why I say like clarity will ultimately prevail one way or the other. So like don't kind of be too hard on yourself and your team if you're kind of in the middle of these conversations and planning activities, actually.
0: This is super, super good advice and rings so true in my ears. You also said something about owning your calendar, being present in every meeting. Just wanted to follow up on that as well, because I think a lot of people struggle with it. I honestly don't know a person that does not have a challenge with enabling yourself to be present in each and every conversation and being able to listen and just wondering like what has worked for you? Like where are you at currently with the systems behind it or the structures? What structure to have you built for yourself? that allows you or enables you to do that? And anything goes really. Like if you have any rules about like, oh, I have to have a 15 minutes meeting between buffer between each meeting or like, is it like reviewing your calendar every morning? Like what has worked for you in that sense to enable you to do that?
2: Yeah, so I take a very casual but practical approach with my team and direct reports actually. Like how I went from being a manager that is just managing a team and having engineers reporting to being a director and having being a manager of managers So it's not that overnight I started talking less with people and like that one-on-one weekly with them disappeared or kind of just became a monthly one-on-one like, wow, you are just less accessible or you care about us less. It's just being open about in these conversations that this is what I am focusing on for us as a team that I'm working on that work that is going to hit us six months, nine months down the line. That's why I also need my own individual contributor or focus time to do some critical thinking. So that's why I'm not able to converse on a lot of those kind of day-to-day status updates. And I'm being really selective, actually, on what are the team status updates meetings that we can do a lot of async kind of offline conversation about. And what are some real people slash career growth conversations that we can do on those meetings, actually? And I often joke with every call that I end with them, it's just like, I'm just a Slack message away. So that's why it's not that uh, if you're not setting up time, it's just that I want to make sure that you are getting enough time to work on your commitments. But if we need to chat, you know how to reach me and I'll make sure I prioritize the team or anything else actually. So that is why there's a lot of kind of delegation that happens. And over time, they also kind of tend to do some critical thinking on, does this make sense to bring up in a conversation or is this something that I can take ownership tackle on my own and then come to on and with the consequences or kind of where we are at actually. So that sense of empowerment they get that they don't need to wait for just a call to be booked or a meeting to be booked actually where they can do a lot of that by themselves and either produce a write up or just kind of say that we have tried to tackle this amongst ourselves. Now we are at this critical juncture where there are two good enough opinions, one short, one long, or we are at odds actually come help kind of this untangle this, I would say, mess for us actually in that sense. So that is a much more productive meeting than just going around the room in terms of repeating or just kind of having a meeting for the sake of it.
0: I think that's super actionable. Mm -hmm. And I can definitely recognize how I can make adjustments a little bit. I think it's definitely true that this like maker-manager balancing act is just so hard when you're kind of on the higher level and you need to do strategic work, but then you still also want to be present for your people. So I think that's really good advice.
1: Maybe one final one?
0: (laughs) Yes, I'm waiting for your final question. You always ask.
1: Well, I've already asked my actually very final one because I wanted to tag it on there before. And I think that's how we got going down that thread in the first place. But maybe zooming way out, like what do you think tech leaders need to be capable of now more than ever? I'm thinking coming out of the pandemic, remote now, even just listening to you a second ago, I'm like, oh my gosh, like, patience is even more important in a remote setting isn't it slack communication like it's such an enormous weight i think in a lot of ways and you really have to guide it you have to be extra intentional all that kind of stuff extra patient but what do you think tech leaders need to be more capable of now more than ever and that's our kind of sign off answer so let's make it let's make it an amazing one
0: maybe to double down on that a little bit because i think it's related since you are coaching and you listen to a lot of the challenges that engineers currently have right like tied into that like what do you see on the market like what are the, the i don't know top three challenges that team members currently struggle with and related to that therefore what do tech leaders actually need to enable now more than ever
2: yeah i think exactly and, and this is great because it goes back to kind of one of my first points is for tech leaders or engineering-led teams There is still times when they cannot kind of stop being overly technical actually so trying to be closer to what the business or organization is trying to achieve a lot of teams are moving into this direction of you have organizational okrs or high integrity commitments and then the teams just set their kind of their own okrs to match against that so how do we move the needle as an organization because you want to still kind of succeed as a company, right? With remote work and just ever-changing kind of customer needs, it's really important to understand whom you're trying to cater to actually in the first place. Otherwise, a lot of those kind of efforts you're putting in might not resonate when it it's all going to come together in the end, actually. So, trying to just have a little bit more product thinking or product development mindset rather than just a technical mindset is important at at varying degrees for levels, right? For staff engineers and senior engineers or EMs, absolutely. For junior to mid-level engineers, try to just keep a pulse of anything that is there. Maybe it's not going to take up your 50% of your week, actually, but still trying to kind of be aware is important. The second is leading from the front and being a role model in terms of either kind of just showcasing your vulnerability, actually, right? For example, that... If you have tough days, just going to a team in terms of you have set up a 6 p.m. meeting, but I have kind of had to make four or five big decisions. I wouldn't be able to do justice. Can we do this tomorrow? Or is there a way that we can kind of circle back? Right. You want to be authentic that the last thing you want to do is, is do a poor job because. After a certain point, you do build some executive presence, right? What you say or act has has a lot of weight, actually, if you realize or not. I realized it later that what would I end up saying in meetings actually could lead to a whole engineering problems approach being steered in another direction. Because just I said something that I just heard in some previous meeting, which is not even vetted actually. So that's something that you are kind of authentic and vulnerable. okay. Whatever I'm saying, I'm also human at the end of the day. Take it with a grain of salt, actually. That's important. Another tangential or related thing is taking time off. That's something I know all tech leaders struggle or like people who want to just make ends meet. I certainly struggle at times, actually. And that goes back to that burnout or work-life balance. If you don't disconnect or set boundaries, actually, then people that work with you as a team or report to you, Will work even harder because you are hustling or sending a 9 p.m. or 11 p.m. Slack reply. So they will feel the need that okay, something is coming, so I need to reply. Actually, so you need to make sure that there's a lot of tools and techniques of a label. You can even schedule messages or something. That when are you asking something from your team, and you are saying whether this is urgent or there is something that needs an answer in a day, a week, or an hour, actually. And then the last thing is just as I said, right? Like just. Build that emotional strength and resilience to navigate uncertainty. A lot of the kind of companies' roadmaps or just this times that we are in, there's a lot of uncertainty baked in, in terms of replanning and reprioritization and companies having to reevaluate their entire strategy, actually. So just be patient, actually, and just kind of uh, make sure that their teams are all set up for success. It's really important to build high-performing, sustainable teams, rather than having a quarter or two where you hit it out of the park and then all comes crashing down six months later, actually, because what you are going for is simply not sustainable for a process and a people standpoint.
1: I love that. I think that is like, I mean, I shouldn't even talk because that would have been the perfect point to end on. Right. But like HPST, high performance, sustainable teams definitely requires a definition. And I think that's a very it's an important qualification to just high performance teams, right? because it does leave a couple open-ended questions. and I think the only reason I mention it is because I think that is maybe the number one question a lot of managers out there have, new and veteran managers. How do I create a high performance high performance team and culture, but not just for a month or a sprint but for a long time. So I, I love that last insight addition.
0: Uh, I think we uh, got so many useful advice and insights and ideas from you Anna, that I'm beyond grateful to have had this conversation. Thank you so much for sharing not only your learnings, but also, yeah, your approach, I would say, and your kind of style with us. I think it's super, super inspiring to see that someone that experienced and that is kind of like, you know, already in that st- how do I say that? Like in the mentoring part of the journey, let's say, where you're passing on learnings, uh, still also learns and you struggle. And you, you mentioned many different things that you are still working out and, and trying to get better at. So overall, superbly valuable conversation. Thank you so much for spending the time with us. And i really excited to get this to our listeners.
2: Thank you so much again for having me. And it was excellent. Going from memory lane to what I am experiencing or the challenges I face to how do we make it better for all of us in this space. So really great conversation today.
0: Thank you so much. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to Teams at Work. Let us know what your thoughts are on today's episode. You can find us on Twitter at Daria Gutnik and at Anthony A. Rio or simply follow Bunch at Bunch underscore HQ. And don't forget, subscribe if you like the episode because we always have interesting guests would join us and share valuable knowledge as well as actionable advice.
1: Yeah, we're looking forward to hearing from you. Please do get in touch. At the beginning of the show, we did mention that we're building an AI leadership coach that helps you level up as a leader in just two minutes a day. Check us out on the Apple App Store and simply search Bunch Leadership Coach to find it. Try it out and let us know what you think.
0: And that's a wrap. We're your hosts, Daria Goodnick and Anthony Rio, and we're excited to speak with you all soon. Till next time.